has allowed, given you the privilege of being a father, then he commands you to teach. There's something about becoming a father where you get up and you say, I've got to go earn a living. I've got to provide for this, ch- this life that is totally dependent upon me. Well, scripture, God all, also says, if you are a father, then you are a teacher of your child. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we're continuing our study in Psalm 78. As a part of our Summer Psalm series, we're listening to my good friend Chap Bettis explain to us how this psalm structures a call for all of us, not just fathers, to pass down our faith to those who come behind us. But it really rests upon us. Are those who follow us finding God to be faithful? But first, we're going to be talking with Bill Mounts as we discuss whether or not we can actually trust the Bible and how to have answers to those questions to our children. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Are you equipped with the answers that our world is asking today? Answers that will provide uh, authority to why we trust the, the foundations of our faith and the Word of God. We're being attacked on all sides, and it seems to be happening even within the church and within our own families, as we have parents with children who have walked away from the faith now challenging the faith that they were raised in. Are we able to respond to those questions and those doubts about the Bible? I'm seeing them even in children, in young ages in our church. So how do we address these concerns? Well, our our guest today is Dr. William D. Mounts, who's written a book called Why I Trust the Bible, Answers to Real Questions and Real Doubts People Have About the Bible. It's a great resource, but one that feels very well present, an issue that we're all facing in our culture today. So, Bill, why is this such a pressing issue? Why all of a sudden has this concern risen to the top? And many of our listeners, I'm sure, are struggling with these questions themselves. Why is it so pressing today? Well, the questions have been around for a long time. In fact, about every 10 years, someone uh, publishes a new book about all the evil church fathers who hid the real books that should have been in the Bible. And they're all the same books. <laughs> it's, it's the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. And, and this issue just keeps, it's on like a 10-year cycle. What made this cycle, though, especially dangerous is uh, we've very much lost our Judeo-Christian background. Uh, people are much more willing to say, well, I don't, I don't believe it unless you can prove it to me kind of thing. And so there's a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot of social media attacks on the Bible. Uh, very well-known people who think that religion is the great evil of the world, and you have to get rid of it, and they love to attack the Bible for that. And then you can never underestimate the influence of Professor Bart Ehrman's works, um, Misquoting Jesus being the main one. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York Times best-selling book on textual criticism, which, you know, if someone has said there was going to be a New York Times bestseller on text criticism 10 years ago, you just like, ah, yeah, right. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's this confluence of these different kinds of forces that um, are, are, uh, this is the most direct attack in my lifetime on the authority of the Bible. Hmm. It is interesting. It seems like with the internet age, we're living in a culture where all you have to do is generate a, a, a or posit a theory that has a, a plausible nature to it, and people will never actually look under the surface and will just accept that as theory as as a fact and and throw out any arguments uh, to the contrary. Right, and they they 
a lot of people want to believe this. You know, when you're you're 18 or so, just biologically, you're separating from your parents, you're becoming more and more of an individual. And so it's natural to start questioning things, especially if you're raised in a Christian home. It's natural to start questioning things. And that's a good thing. I mean, you, you shouldn't just believe something because your mom and dad said it. Uh, but it's it's natural as you're breaking away and becoming your own person to start questioning these things. And it's just that in this culture, people are much more willing to um, question things that they never used to question. But I, I think the questioning is a good thing as long as you're open to the answers. Mm-hmm. I've definitely fielded a lot of these questions as a pastor in, in my local community of people coming to visit, uh, raising questions, and and basically saying, well, I, you know, uh, you said that from the Bible, but you can't trust the Bible. And I say, well, how, how so? What are what arguments? And we're really putting it back on them. And they can't tell me why. They just said, well, I just, you know, it's, it's just commonly accepted, right? It's just, you know, in the zeitgeist, you can't trust the Bible, right? So, well, right. why? Yeah, and, and you know, and quite a few of the um, answers to the questions that are being asked is, is really simple. Like, well, I think, I think gospel of Thomas should be in the Bible. I mean, most people don't even know the name of the book, but you know, let's say it should be in it. And all you have to do is say, well, have you read it? Yeah. And of course they haven't. Or they say, I can't believe the Bible because there's so many contradictions. Well, can you name me one and we can look at it? And very, very few people know where the problems are. There are problems, but very few people actually know where they are. And so, yeah, zeitgeist is is the right word. It, it is we are in that stage where people don't want to. And, and again, I don't know motives, but um, it seems to me that the primary motives people don't want to submit to the authority of the Bible. They don't want to do what they're told. They don't want to listen to someone else. And so, it's just easier to, to have heard, you know, Bill Maher on television or something, and you go, "Oh yeah, okay, I like that," because then I don't have to deal with what the Bible says. So I'm just going to say I don't believe it because it's not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. But not having done the homework. It seems that a lot of the reasons they don't want to trust the Bible have to do with cultural changes and, and politics and, and issues about uh, race, issues about uh, gender, all these other issues where the Bible, their opinion of the Bible is, is very straightforward and, and they want to reject it outright. So uh, they draw these other conclusions about it, right? Right. Yeah. You know, you know identifying the Bible with the particular political party or person uh, damages the cause of Christ mm. uh, because then you you think of Christ in terms of what you think of this person, and uh, you know Christ is not uh, of a certain political party, and he, he's not he doesn't have a Messiah right now, at <laughs> least uh, current Messiah, and so it's um, you just you have to be careful. So one of the things I found is that a lot of people, when they were rebelling against Christ, are not rebelling against Christ. They're re- rebelling against stereotypes or generalities, or you know, they see a, a bad church with a with a pastor or elders who have gone amok, and they go, "Well, I'm not," you know, and they've identified Christianity with an individual or a church or a denomination or whatever be the case. And you know, I just keep saying, "Please, please, please, look at Christ. Look at the Bible. Don't don't look at how flawed human beings follow it or don't follow it." Hmm. I think one of the concerns is that many 
prominent Christian leaders have have heard those attacks against the Bible as a a weapon that's been used in culture, and they've just distanced themselves from the Bible and said, "Well, we want to unhitch or un, you know uh, disconnect those portions of the Bible." Uh, that seems to be prominent as well, and and that might even be where a lot of parents are who are, have children who have raised questions and say, "Well, that's Old Testament stuff, or that's stuff we don't practice anymore." Yeah. Um, that is actually pretty dangerous. That's not the tactic you're trying to take here. You know, anytime you create a canon within a canon, uh, it ends in heresy. Mm-hmm. Every single time. There is no exception to that rule as far as I know in 2,000 years of history. We call Marcion, Marcion the heretic, because that's what he did. He dumped the Old Testament, and he kept portions of Luke and portions of Paul. And he said, oh, this is my God. And what he's doing is he's creating God in his own image. Mm-hmm. And he's just saying, I'm a, and this is the irony of all this. He's saying, I'm above scripture, scripture, so I can, I can determine what is true and what's not true. And then once I've made that decision, I'm going to submit to its authority. Well, that, that's foolishness. That, that, it's illogical. It's a non sequitur, whatever you want to call it. You can't, you can't stand in um, judgment of scripture and then submit to it. Yeah. Uh, I've got a really good friend who, uh, decided that he was, you know, he just wanted to believe the parts of the Bible that talks about God being a God of love and mercy, and he just dumped everything else. And mm. uh, he said to me once, well, I feel closer to God than ever before, and I wish I had said, what God would that be? Mm-hmm. Mm. Because you can't create your own God and then assume that he's real. So, yeah, yeah you, whenever you have a canon within a canon, uh, you dump the Old Testament, you know, Paul said, some pretty strong things about the value of the Old Testament. Yeah, it's hard to understand. There's some, to us, really strange things in it. But it's every word is from the mouth of God, Paul says. Um, it, there's, it's full of, thus saith the Lord's, and you know, people ignore it at their own peril. We've been talking with Bill Mounts about his book, Why I Trust the Bible, answers to real questions and doubts people have about the Bible. You can find out more information about the book by giving us a call, 508 362 7070, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Another great resource and one that I can highly recommend, especially with all that we're facing in our culture today. We need to have the ability to trust the Bible and understand how that trust is built as we read it and study it. With our eyes open, we can ask these hard questions and still be encouraged by the answers that the Bible provides. We'll also need these questions answered for the next generation, and that's exactly what we're talking about today as we continue our Summer Psalms series. We're going to be hearing a message from my good friend, Chap Bettis, who is the founder of the Apollos Project, a ministry helping parents and grandparents in reaching and discipling the next generation. I can highly recommend his ministry. He's a good friend, but also the foundation of all of his work is is right here in New England. So he is a resource of our own, and I'm so excited to have one of his messages as a part of our Summer Psalm series. Chap is written a book called The Disciple-Making Parent. I highly recommend that. I highly recommend him as a public speaker, as someone who can come to your church and your ministry and help resource your community to disciple the next generation. Uh, And of course, he has a whole bunch of stuff on his his, uh, website, so you can give us a call and find out more information, 508-362-7070. But without further ado, let's go to this message from Psalm 78, as it talks about how and why we need to be focused on discipling those who come behind us. If you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. 
God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God so that they will trust, remember, and obey. I'll repeat that multiple times. God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God so they'll trust, remember, and obey. And that's the outline. God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God so they'll trust, remember, and obey. Let's look at point one. God commands us to tell the next generation. If you look in verses 1 and 2 there, my people hear my instruction, listen to what I say. I'm going to declare wise sayings. I'll speak mysteries from the past, things we've heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but tell a future generation. It's verse 4. The writer of this psalm is concerned that the people know their history. It's written by a leader or a king or a religious teacher. Um, it's, it's written in a way to remind God's people. It's written to warm the heart and warn the conscience as well. The words of the wise here is the saying as the word for a proverb. And he's using one realm of life to illumine another. What he's saying is, he's saying, listen, we hear the things that have been passed on to us. And you have got to pass them on to your children. See, the people of God knew their history, but he wants to remind them. They had been taught their history. God wants his people to know their history, to learn their history, and to remember And what does he say in verse 3? Things we've heard, things we've known that our fathers have passed down to us. In verse 4, we're to do the same. We must not hide them from their children. And if you look down in verse 5, this is not not just a suggestion, but he's actually commanding the fathers to teach their children. If God has allowed, given you the privilege of being a father, then he commands you to teach. It's just part of the job description. There's something about becoming a father where you get up and you say, I've got to go earn a living. I've got to provide for this, ch- this life that is totally dependent upon me. Well, scripture, God all, also says, if you are a father, then you are a teacher of your child. He's echoing, Psalm 78 is echoing Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. These commandments that I give today are to be on your hearts. Talking to the parents. But then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Ephesians 6, 4, one of the two places God speaks to fathers, to parents. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, obviously, this, only, this doesn't only apply to fathers. It applies to mothers. It applies to grandparents. It, applies to spiritual aunts and uncles. And actually, it doesn't even just apply to the biological family. In the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? To his disciples, he said, go and make other disciples. 
baptizing them and teaching them to obey what I what I have commanded you. Our words are powerful. Proverbs says, "Your words, my words, have the power of life and death. They are more powerful than any surgeon's scalpel." And so we are to speak to them, speak to the next generation. And actually, in verse 4, he says, if we don't, this is like hiding it. One of the ways, it's easy, though, I think, to take our spiritual background or even history for granted. I, can't, I, I remember the time that my children uh, were taking a history class and they came home and they were telling me what they were learning in history. And I said, that's not history. I lived through that. History's a long time ago. But in fact, these things were were hidden from my children because I had not told them. I had just assumed. In fact, a a study found of 11,000 teenagers from 500 congregations across six denominations found that only 12%, one out of eight, have regular conversations of faith with their mom. Only one out of 20 have regular conversations with their father. So when it comes to matters of faith, mum is usually the word. Spurgeon, commenting on this passage, says this, Truth, endeared to us by its fond associations with godly parents and venerable friends, deserves of us our best exertions to preserve and propagate it. Our fathers told us, we hear them, and we know personally what they taught, it remains for us in our turn to hand it on. Several years ago, I was invited to speak at a men's breakfast uh, at a church, and they had asked me to come in right after they had officially hired a new worship pastor. It was actually pretty great uh, to see that whole kind of experience taking place and the excitement of all of the men in attendance. And they asked them this question, who is the primary worship leader for your family? They were all very proud to point at their new worship pastor, and for good reason. I mean, they must be very excited about that. And I told them very quickly and bluntly, no, you are the primary worship leader for your family. Your children are looking to you. They may be led by a worship leader from the stage. They may even learn from a pastor or a teacher at school. But most of what they gain or most of what they hold on to will come through their parents. This is not something that can be passed on to a second party or a third party. You need to be the primary person who is discipling those in your family. And this works out very simply as a pattern that is laid out through Scripture, but also as you have the greatest influence in their life. You spend the most time with them. You, you have the greatest power of their desire and their affections. They want your love. They want your attention. They want your, your focus. And when you give them that and you direct that focus on the things that matter most, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you have the primary influence on their lives. I can't tell you this enough. And I know that this is not just for men. It's for mothers. It's for grandparents. It's for anyone who has a direct influence in the life of a child, a teenager, a young adult. 
Don't count yourself short. You are a blessing to them. Whether they see it or not, they may even recoil against it, but you have a constant blessing in their life that God has placed you in that relationship so that you might influence them to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let me encourage you to, to see the, the, the most intimate relationships that you have, the family relationships that you have, as the greatest opportunities to be a witness for the gospel. Now you say that they're already Christians, they're already in the church, they're already being discipled by others. No, you are still the primary discipler because you are in their life more than anyone else and you must have an influence, a positive influence in them. In fact, it is the people who are already Christians that need to continually hear the gospel. That's our conviction here. You need to hear the gospel. I need to hear the gospel. So guess what they need to hear? They need to hear it from you. I hope that this encourages you. It shouldn't discourage you. Don't feel beat up by this, but feel empowered and encouraged that you have an opportunity to have a positive influence in the next generation and do it with those that are closest to you. If we've been able to bless you, can I encourage you to be a blessing to us in return? We're a ministry that's 100% supported by you, our listeners. So the only way that we can stay on the air is with your generosity. If you've been blessed, if you've been encouraged, can I ask you to send in some support, financial support, your contribution that helps keep this broadcast on the air. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study looking at Psalm 78 as we talk about this important principle that we must pass on our faith to those who are looking to us to point them to God. Are we so busy that we don't see the works of God right in our midst? Can we dazzle each other with how great God is? Do our children and others know how we were saved? On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, verses 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.